in a few weeks, we're going to have the holiday of Shavuos. Zman Matan Torosenu, the time of the giving of our Torah. It's the anniversary of the Ten Commandments at Sinai. And in fact, we um, this sixth day of Sivan, if you go all the way back to Rashi in the beginning of Genesis, Vayer Vayvoker Yom Hashishi, why is it called the sixth day? So Rashi tells us that it's actually referring to not the sixth day of creation, but the sixth day of Sivan, which is the day of the Torah. And the whole world, everything has been created for Yom HaShishi, the sixth day, which is the day when the Jewish people finally get the Torah. That sentiment is echoed elsewhere. Uh, Rashi also brings it down by Bereshis. Why did I create the world? Bavuri Sroshnik Horatius. Why did I create the world? Because of Jewish people that are called Horatius, because of Torah that's called Horatius. That there's a certain element of recreation of the world that is kicked off on Shavuos, and we relive it every year. I want to investigate the question of, 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 of trying to get more meaning in the holiday and more understanding in the holiday and to try to understand, and I, I did hint at this a few weeks ago, but we didn't, we didn't pursue it, how is it possible or what exactly, or what do we mean when we say that Shavuos is the time of the giving of our Torah? After all, what actually happened on Shavuos? On Shavuos, they were by the mountain, and they heard the Ten Commandments, and then Moshe goes up the mountain for 40 days, and he comes back with the tablets and with Torah. And then, of course, he breaks them, and they have to have uh, the 40 days where the Jewish people state is unclear. He goes up a second time, he goes up a third time, comes back on Yom Kippur, Salachtik, Kedorechai, forgiven, as you have requested, the day after they begin the erecting of, uh, the assembling and the erecting of the Mishkan, and over the course of the next year, essentially, from when they got to Sinai, they start getting the Torah incrementally. We read last week, Bahar, the Moshe, Moshe was told, Bahar Sinai, all the mitzvahs of all of Vayitron and most of Bamidbar is given to us at Sinai. And then they travel along the way. But there's one day that we're celebrating. This is the Zman Matan Torah. This is the time to give our, of our Torah. And my question I want to pursue today is what exactly about this holiday and this experience renders it the day of the giving of the Torah. The Rishalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, in the book of Roshana, chapter 4, says something very interesting. And again, our question is, why we got 10 mitzvot, we got a nice experience, we got prophecy, but where is Torah? Torah is exhaustive. Torah is 613. 613 we didn't get. So what does it mean we got the Torah on Har Sinai? And what does it mean for us? In Talmud Yerushalmi, in Rosh Hashanah, in chapter 4, the Talmud tells us that this is the Zman of the Kabbalah's old Torah. It's the time of the accepting of the yoke of Torah. Indeed, at this day, the Jewish people did not get all of Torah, but they made a commitment. And the commitment was that we accept upon ourselves the yoke of Torah, come what May. In fact, verse tells us in the end of Mishpatim, they said, we will do and then we will hear. The Jewish people made, they gave up, so to speak, their own decision-making capabilities to God. We're going to follow the Torah, we're going to accept it, whatever is included in it. Of course, the Talmud tells us in the book of Avodah they might have peddled the Torah to all nations. Every nation would stop and say, well, what's in it? And they might have pointed their Achilles heel you can't do it. Oh, it's, you can't. I, I, we need to steal. We need, we need to act immorally. Every nation 
found problems with the Torah. Jewish people offered the Torah, Nasev they accepted it carte blanche, they want it all, and that accepting of the Torah, not that they actually got the whole Torah, but that they signed up, we're in, we're on board, they, uh, that was sufficient for it to be considered. This, they got all of Torah. In a similar way, we're told in the Talmud, on, in, in, uh, in Bab Metziah, on page 84, there was a great sage who was a partner with Rabbi Yochanan, brother-in-law as well, Reish Lakish. And he started off his career as a bandit. And he would terrorize uh, people and steal their money. Talmud does say, by the way, that he was actually one of those good guys. Uh, he would attack. He was fearless, very strong. He would attack the cannibals. There was a group of cannibals. And he let himself be captured by them. And he took a sock. Inside the sock, he put a rock. And he let himself be captured by them. Uh, and as they were about to prepare him to eat him, he said, okay, one last request. He said, oh, all I want is to take this sock. And in it, they couldn't see that it had a stone in it. I want to take this sock and I want to just give you a little tap. She said, sure, give us a tap. He takes the sock. He starts hitting them over the head and he kills them all. He was a vigilante. But either way, Rabbi Yochanan sees him and he's leaping over the Jordan River effortlessly. He's a, he's a, he's a freak of nature. And Rabbi Yochanan sees this person has potential to be a great Torah scholar. May you use your strength for Torah. And Rish Lakish responds, Your beauty should be relegated for women. He says, you say I'm so strong I should use it for Torah. You're so beautiful, it's wasted on a man. He tells him, well, my sister is even more beautiful for her. I'll make a deal. You commit to study Torah. I will arrange that you'll marry her. Eventually he marries her and they become study partners. Says the Talmud, after he accepted upon himself the yoke of Torah, he no longer was able to jump to the other side. He didn't study Torah. But he accepted the Torah, and that is tantamount to actually having Torah. There's no Torah. His brain is empty of Torah. But the acceptance of Torah, that goes a long way. And indeed, you look at Jewish sources, talk a lot about Kabbalah's old Torah. We read in in the chapters of our fathers, call Hamikabal al Asma old Torah. Every chapter says upon himself the yoke of Torah. Then they take all the other yokes that were there previously, the yoke, the old Malchus, the yoke of kingdom, the old Echaritz, the yoke of the way of life. Everything gets cast away to make room for the old Torah, for the yoke of Torah. It doesn't say whoever studies Torah. There's another realm of Torah called the yoke of Torah, accepting upon yourself that even absent actual Torah study is considered Torah as well. And therefore, at Sinai, the Jewish people accepted upon themselves the yoke of Torah. Indeed, they didn't learn Torah until much later, or they didn't learn all of Torah until much later. Indeed, they didn't learn all of Torah until the end. Moshe is giving them instructions and mitzvahs all the way to the end of, De- of Deuteronomy and the end of his life. But this marks the point where the Jewish people say, we're in. And therefore, for us, when we want to relive this experience, we too could say, we're in. We want to sign up. We're aboard, and that is the power of the day to reaccept Torah. That's one idea. I have four more ideas I want to share with you before we uh, conclude. The Talmud, in the book of Makros, tells us that there's 613 mitzvos in the Torah. 248 positive, corresponding to the limbs of the body. 365 of them negative, corresponding to the days of the year. How do we know this as a Talmud? What's the source for that? 
Torah Tzivalanu. Moshe, famous verse in Deuteronomy. Torah was given to us by Moshe. Torah is gematria, numerical value, 611. Moshe gave us 611. And the Almighty gave us two. Anochi v'lo yir l'chom yipi hadvur shamanum. We heard Anochi, the first of the Ten Commandments, I'm the Lord your God. And the second, you shall not have any other foreign gods. We heard from the Almighty. So 611 plus two is 613. That's how we know that the 613 mitzvahs, says the Talmud. So there's this demarcation. There's two mitzvahs from God, 611 from Moshe. So what's the deal with this? There's a very famous Maharsha. And he says an, an interesting idea theologically, but also an interesting idea with regards to Torah. He says like this, we are complicated. God is simple. Now, because we're complicated, God becomes even more complicated. We say Hashem Echad, it means that even the Rambam says that the Almighty, the existence of the Almighty is something very simple. And the reason why it's so hard for us to wrap our head around it, because it's too simple. We need complexity. The idea of God being one is beyond our capacity. Well, one is simple. It's not a billion, but a billion is easier for us to understand than one. And that's why the Rambam says that we are actually engineered in a way that we cannot possibly understand what God himself is, and therefore we're encouraged to not even think about it. It's a prohibition to ruminate too much about this because you won't get anywhere. And it'll just cause you to tie yourself in a theological pretzel. But, says the Marsha, when the Almighty gave us Torah, he gave us everything from his perspective. In the Almighty's Torah, so to speak, that he gave, there's only two mitzvahs. There's a positive mitzvah, believe in God. There's a negative mitzvah, don't have any foreign gods, and that's it. For us, we need more details. And therefore, Moshe is explaining to us what the Almighty said, and he's giving us the Torah, the 613, which is, or 611, which is fleshing out the details. Every mitzvah that we do is an element, a dimension of either a positive mitzvah, is anoichi, is part of the first, uh, I'm the Lord your God. A negative mitzvah, lo yilach, don't have any foreign gods. And therefore, every mitzvah that we do, we're testing to God's existence, and we're upholding our faith and our muna. Every negative transgression that we, we transgress is akin to idolatry, because God says no, and you say, you know what, I have a better idea. I have higher priorities than you. You say no, I say yes. And therefore, says the Maharsha, actually, we did get all of Torah at the Ten Commandments. Moreover, we got all of Torah the first two. The first two we heard from God. That really contained everything. And I want to just add, if you notice, when we say on the holiday of Shavuos that it's the time of our receiving of the Torah, that is imprecise. It doesn't say the time of our receiving of the Torah. It doesn't say Zman Kabolas Torah Seinu. It says Zman Matan, the time of the giving of the Torah. What that perhaps intimates is that God indeed gave us the whole Torah, but we can't accept that because we have two mitzvos. We don't have all of Torah. We get we got the two mitzvos, yes, but for us, Torah is more detailed. And therefore, it's not the time of our acceptance, our receiving the Torah, it's the time of the giving. God gave us everything. Just we couldn't unscramble it. We couldn't decipher it. It's too dense. So we couldn't accept it. We have two mitzvahs, isolated mitzvahs. But those mitzvahs are not really, from God's perspective, they include everything. And therefore, it needs to be broken down to us. So over the course of 40 years, we accepted those two. 
but really says the Maharsha, all of Torah is contained within these two. And therefore, Shavuos is the time of the giving of our Torah, because God gave all the Torah at Sinai with the first two of the Ten Commandments. But indeed, it's not the time of our accepting of the Torah that happened over the course of the 40 years. That's an interesting idea from the Maharsha. And he does add, by the way, that uh, the these two mitzvos, like the Talmud tells us that all the mitzvos correspond, positive mitzvos correspond to the limbs of the body, and negative mitzvos correspond to days of the year. He says that there's uh, two mitzvos, positive and negative, the two ones that are the most important ones, that are the central ones. The first, Anochi, believe in God, that's like the heart, that's the limb, like equivalent to the heart, which it pumps blood and vitality and life. And the, and the negative mitzvah, which corresponds to 630, uh, sorry, it corresponds to 365 days, which is the day that is equivalent to the mitzvah of don't have any foreign gods. That is the holiest day, the day, yoma, the day, which is yom hakipurim, yom kippur. Interesting idea, but this does give us perspective that, indeed, the Sinai experience and the Ten Commandments Jewish people, they can't handle it, right? The Gemara even says that they died. They said to the sense of Moshe, don't speak, don't you speak to us, don't let God speak to us. Why not? You have, a, you have an opportunity to hear God speak. Who would forego that opportunity? And the answer is because they couldn't understand that. God speaking, and they don't understand because it's God speaking and God speak, and the people cannot bear it. They cannot absorb it. It's too much for them to absorb. But, indeed, it's this Mamatan Torah saying, God gave us a godly Torah, but it's able to be mishtalshel. It's able to it's able to be brought down, so to speak, to our world. And a godly Torah is able to be understood by us, thanks to Moshe. If you want to read more about this, about how the existence of a godly Torah versus the existence of an earthly Torah, Loba Shamayimi, for example, Talmud tells us. Talmud tells us that when the Almighty says the halacha is one way, but we rule the halacha is the other way, we follow our rule. What if the Almighty is the source of the Torah? Then he should. His word should trump ours. And the answer is no. He gave us his Torah. Now it's our Torah. It's Lobashmem. Torah is not in the heavens. Therefore, what we say here, it becomes the rule. And uh, Nefesh Chaim writes that there's many different levels of Torah in every different world. From the spiritual worlds, it goes down from God's world, so to speak, to the lower world to become more progressively more physical and less spiritual until it finally reaches our world. And what do you read in the Torah? You open up the Torah... You have a cow that's gored by an ox. Obviously, things that are very relevant to our life, and we could visualize them, but that's a way that the Torah can be clothed in lingo that we understand. That's an idea for the Maharsha. Another idea, very similar, similar note. Rashi, in the Ten Commandments, quotes Rabbeinu Sa'ad Yagon, one of the greatest of the Gaonim. And he has an idea which makes a lot of sense, very similar to what the Marsha says. He says that the Ten Commandments given to us at Sinai are more than isolated mitzvos. They're actually categories of mitzvos. Moreover, he writes an essay, more like a poem, in which he weaves all 613 mitzvos into these Categories. He tells you which one, which mitzvahs fall under the category of Anochi, and which one Loyia, Losisa. I'm going to share with you some more ideas over here. You look at the first, the Ten Commandments. 
believe in God. That is a that is a an intellectual mitzvah. And then you look at the rest of the mitzvahs, they're very kind of factual, very, very behavioral. Don't do this, don't do this, do this. Remember Shabbos, honor your parents, don't swear falsely, don't have idols, don't kill. And you look at the last of the Ten Commandments, Lo Sachmod, don't covet what your what your friend has, don't covet his wife, don't covet his, covet his slave, don't covet his female slave, his ox, his donkey, everything that he has. And that too, again, is a mitzvah that's not actionable. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. And this, again, is not a mitzvah demanding of us to behave or refrain from behaving. It's how to feel. We have to feel not desirous of other people's stuff. And this seems very difficult. How is it possible for someone to control not just what they behave, how they act, but also what they desire? Because if the Torah tells me, listen, you want to sin, but don't, that seems like it's possible to do. You want to eat the cheeseburger, right? But but don't, it's not kosher. You, you want to violate the Shabbos, but don't because it's prohibited. That seems reasonable. This is a mitzvah that goes a step earlier. Don't even desire. It's not saying don't act upon the desires. Don't try to commandeer your neighbor's wife or slave or animal or donkey. Or it doesn't say that. It says don't even desire. Lo tachmo. Don't covet it. And that seems to be problematic. How is it possible for us to not desire that? So the Ibn Ezra, very famous Ibn Ezra here, he says a remarkable idea that is broadly applicable uh, across a the entire landscape of Torah. He gives us an example. He says, imagine you have a kafri, a village person, a simpleton, a peasant. If he is mentally sound, he will not covet the princess. Why? Because it becomes so inaccessible, it's so out of the realm of ever being actualized that it becomes pie in the sky, it's a pipe dream, and something you don't even desire. What he's establishing here is a remarkable idea. He says there are things that we desire, and we desire them only because we somehow think it's possibly to be, to be accessed by us. Indeed, it is possible for someone to control what they want, what they desire. Because what you desire is only what you in some way, shape, or form can imagine yourself accessing. He gives an example. He says, healthy people don't covet growing feathers on their arms and flying like a bird. It would be super duper cool to be able to do that, don't you think? You could fly as the crow flies, quite literally. No traffic jams. Built a dunk of basketball would be nice for a Jewish kid to do. Right? It would be great, right? But how come no one desires that? Because we realize that it's beyond the possibility of ever happening, and therefore we don't even desire it. If someone's unhealthy, perhaps, they may say, yeah, this is something which I, that I can get. But healthy people don't desire that. Let me read you what he says. This 
villager shouldn't think he's like one of the crazy people she atave who will desire that'll have wings to fly to the heavens there are some crazy people that believe that but normal people don't healthy people don't so too says the Ibn Ezra every thinking person must know that a beautiful woman or a lot of money a person will not achieve because of their cleverness only because God decides you'll get it and therefore he gives examples, the Talmud tells us that Bani Chaim it's not merit, it's because what God decides to give you. And therefore, smart people, intelligent people, thinking people won't even desire or covet because once they know that the Almighty says, this is not yours, this is your neighbor's, they realize that it's not possible for them to get it. It becomes as inaccessible as those aforementioned wings. And they don't even desire it. What he's telling us is there's a certain degree of faith, of amuna that we can achieve that actually covers our desires. It reframes, it reorients, it recalibrates our perception of the world and things that God assigned to others become as inaccessible as growing wings. We're so Im- impacted by our faith, by our recognition that God is in control of everything and he gives everyone what they deserve and nothing more, nothing less. And when you give something to someone else, it's for someone else and it's not for you. That actually influences us to such a rudimentary, such a basic level that it changes what we desire. And that's what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying, don't desire. Well, how do you get there? Well, you start off with Anochi. You start off with basic emuna of your brain and hopefully over the course of someone's life in Torah, that emuna will penetrate to such a degree that it will influence them even on that deep, profound level. Thus, my grandfather used to say, you look at the Ten Commandments, it's actually a microcosm of all of Torah. You start of Torah, it's an ob- objective to get basic emuna. And over the course of the entirety of it, the hope is that you don't stay with basic amuna of your brain. You know that God exists. You don't question that. The hope is that the amuna penetrates so deeply that you achieve the level of losachmot. And indeed, this is the objective. We've spoken about this in the past. The objective of Torah is to give us, bring us towards amuna, towards faith. And therefore, indeed, the Ten Commandments are a snapshot of the objective of all of Torah. The objective of all of Torah is to reach Losachmon. I want to end with another idea, another critical idea. In the run-up to the Ten Commandments, very important verse. Chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 9. In this verse, Hashem tells Moshe, what is the goal, what's the objective of this upcoming revelation. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. Hashem said to Moshe, Hine, behold, I will come to you in the thickness of the cloud. Why? In order. That the nation shall hear when I talk to you. 
Becha ya'aminu la'olam. And also in you, they will forever believe. In this verse we're told, what is the reason of Sinai? It's not necessarily to give us mitzvahs. The man could give us mitzvahs the way he gave us the mitzvah of ben soro, mora, and yiridachas. There's a lot of ways to give us mitzvahs. It's to have an experience, an experience that will leave a lasting impression that will facilitate and enable the rest of Torah. I want to read you on a very important Rambam. Chapter 8 of Yisoda Torah, chapter 8 of Foundations of Torah, in which he is discussing prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher, the Jewish people did not believe him because of the miracles that he did. Why? Someone who believes because of miracles, he has doubt and uncertainty. Maybe, just maybe, there's an inkling of skepticism. Maybe the person did it with some sort of trickery or sorcery. Ella, the Raman points out, all the miracles that Moshe did were all based upon an immediate need. For example, not to be proof on, on, on his prophecy. You had to destroy the Egyptians, so they destroyed the Egyptians. You had to, pour, you had to split the sea. You had to have food, brought us manna. You had to have drink, you split the stone. There was a rebellion and mutiny and treason. The, con- the congregation of Korach had to be swallowed. All the miracles were based upon there was a need. And they had to be fulfilled, even if it's miraculous. Why do we believe Moshe? Torah is Moshe. Torah is given to us by Moshe, right? We're trusting it came from God. How do we know that he's real? How do we know he's legit? Maybe he's a fraud. Maybe he made up the whole thing. Maybe he's a liar. At the Mount Sinai experience, our eyes saw, not someone else. Our ears heard, not another. We saw the light. We saw the sound. We saw the torches. We saw the fire. Moshe is going to the darkness, to the cloud. The voice is speaking to him. We hear God talking to Moshe. We tap the phone call between God and Moshe. We were listening in and participating in Moshe's prophecy. God spoke to us face to face through this process. What's the proof that the, that the, the Sinai experience is the only proof to Moshe's prophecy? The Jewish people did not believe in Moshe beforehand. Or at least a belief that's able to subsist over generations. They will believe in you forever. Why do you believe in, in him forever? Because a nation of millions experienced prophecy alongside him. Therefore, this experience, not the content per se, but the experience that enabled the rest of the Torah. Perhaps we may argue that Zman Matan Torah saying, no, indeed, we didn't get the bulk of Torah. We got some mitzvahs in Torah, some very important mitzvahs in Torah. But what we did get is assurance, is verification. We know, we know without a doubt that Moshe is a true prophet. Thus, 
everything he says we know comes really from the Almighty, and we could be confident that the Torah that we have is given to us directly by God via Moshe. Moshe is just a funnel, a conduit delivering us the word of God. So we have five reasons why Shavuos is the holidays, either because it's the time where we accepted the Torah, the yoke of Torah, like the Yerushalmi says in Rosh Hashanah. Perhaps it's like the Maharsha in Makros that tells us that these two mitzvahs are really all that God gave us, but we accepted it after it was parsed up by Moshe, given to us with the details. We have the Rebbeinu Sa'adya going a third option, where he tells us that these ten mitzvahs are ten categories that include incorporate all the other mitzvahs. We have an, a theory based on the Ibn Ezra that the Ten Commandments are a microcosm of a process that we have to undergo through Torah. And lastly, we suggested perhaps Zmama Tantarasenu is a reference to the time, to the experience that ensured that the Torah indeed will be given to us over the course of the 40 years. And the peace and the security and the calmness that we have today to know that we indeed have Torah Sashem that was verified with the verification of Moshe's prophecy at Harsinai on Shavuos.